Welcome to MEND, Life at the Seams. I'm Amy Day. And I'm Annie Fricky. This season, we are fanning out beyond the local cannabis community. We are looking forward, going broader and deeper to ask how we can redefine our wealth and the value we bring to our world. Toward that end, we're borrowing an idea from the world of permaculture and the eight forms of capital and applying this framework to the stories that we unveil. We are highlighting folks who are using what resources they have, things like time, creativity, skills, knowledge, or beauty to enrich the communities of which they play a part. We'll also be looking at ways in which we too can bring what we have to the table, fostering the changes we wish to see in ways both big and small. So welcome to the conversation. This week, Amy and I delved into a realm that was admittedly uncomfortable at first and seemed perhaps counterpoint to the intention of this season. It was, however, written into the framework that we have chosen to follow, so we forged ahead into the realm of financial capital. I will say that the talk we had was far more inspiring and cohesive with our motivations than I would have thought possible. Barry Tesler is a financial therapist, a mompreneur, and the founder of The Art of Money, a book and year-long program described as financial therapy for your soul. A large part of Barry's work is helping people understand how money connects to our bodies and our emotions. For her, there is a direct connection between financial literacy and emotional intelligence. We spoke about our relationships to money, as women, as products of our educational and cultural system, as members in a partnership and as mothers. And we spoke about the importance of understanding this relationship. Mary offers us a glimpse into the work she does with others by offering some advice and gems of wisdom when dealing with the ebbs and flows of our financial story. She even manages to bring in a bit of Zen Buddhism and discusses how we can work through our own money koans. This is a money talk that you have probably never had. So pour a cup of tea, grab a pen and paper for notes, and enjoy. Well, Barry, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We really, really appreciate you taking the time and we're really excited to sit and have a conversation. Well, well, it's funny, Annie and I were talking about our our feelings about this today. (laughs) So although we're excited to talk to you and hear your, your, you know, your work and your expertise. um, So we've been using this season um, to go through this notion from the uh, eight forms of capital from the world of permaculture. And so we've been talking to people about, you know, how we bring value and wealth and worth to our communities and to um, that we play a part. And so that we've been having all these really juicy conversations about, you know, like social capital and spiritual capital. And, um, and Annie and I both noticed today, um, hopping on the call with you, that we both kind of had this, um, this stuff <laughs> showing up for us, if you will, just now that we know that we're sitting down to talk about money. And so I know that part of the work that you do, Barry, is that you teach people to use the body as a way to kind of check in and make good financial decisions. And so we just thought we would step in with that even. How do you, what, what is your perception around that when people have issues coming up in their bodies and their energy when just even sitting down to have a conversation around money? Where, where does that usually <laughs> take you? Yes. So two things, I mean, I, so many things, I can never answer a question from one angle, right? So I'm going to go back and the two threads that I've been studying for years and then it, you know, it connects with so many other parts of our lives are financial literacy and emotional intelligence, right? So those are my two tracks. And for me, there was a direct connection. You know, there was number one, I, as I think you know, Amy, I made it all the way through graduate school training to be a psychotherapist. And 
graduated and my school loan came due. And it was the first moment when I realized we had never talked about money. We had mm. never talked about money in my graduate program, studying training to be a therapist. We, we talked about every other single theme and topic under the sun, beyond the sun. And it just blew me away, you know, that this was such a missing piece. Um, and it became, it, it was not the topic I thought I would be studying. I, you know, as you know, I thought it would be sexuality and body and food and sensuality and death and grief and intimacy. That's what I thought I would be working on. Um, money connects with all of that. How it connects to our bodies and our emotions is that for many of us, we were not given a financial training from grade school and up in small increments. And we were not given a training on how to listen to our body, our messages, our sensations, our feelings, our emotions, and to know ourselves in that way. And that was such a missing piece for me until I went to graduate school at the age of 24 to study somatic psychology. And so from what I see is that so many of us have a lot of emotions when any big topics of life comes up and money is one of them. You know, it could be intimacy. It could be all the other ones I named, mm. but it comes up around money too. Um, and I want us to know ourselves better. A lot of us do know ourselves or have some level of self-awareness or self-inquiry, you know, or a path that we've been on. And yet somehow we forget that all of that still applies to our relationship to money and this area of life and this garden of life as well. And so I, when I started crafting and creating my money methodology, which became clear that I was going to do, you know, when that school loan came due at the age of 28 and I freaked out and I thought, oh, I'm going to run away and travel the world and not deal with this, you know, and not look at, you know, not pay this back and I'll travel forever. You know, that's a fine idea. Or I'm going to face this head on. And I knew if I was going to take up the topic of money that I had to bring along all the qualities all the practices, all the tools that I was living and bringing to every other area of my life to my relationship to money. And first stop was the body check-in and just taking a moment to check in with, you know, what's going on physically in my body. What are the sensations of movement, of stillness? Um, what are the emotions that are present? We can talk about the big spectrum, you know, what what they are, everything from anger to anxiety to wanting to just fall asleep, total boredom, you know, to total joy and excitement and hope. And there's a full spectrum. And so checking in with our body to gather clues, hints, data. Um, what are the feelings? What are the sensations before we're going to have a money conversation? in the heat of the moment, in the middle of one, after we've had one, when we're going to look at our balances online, when we're going to the mailbox to get our bills, if we still get them that way, when we're going to have a conversation with our children around money, our parents, and on and on. So for me, um, learning how to check in with our body um, to understand what is what, what are the feelings that come up for us? They're all different. You know, some of us have a lot of anger. Um, some of us have a lot of sadness that we have to, you know, take care to deal with this part of life. We want someone else just to take care of us or we're really pissed, you know, or we just feel so much anxiety or it just brings up lots of energy or, and on and on. So the body check-in is step one to bring you more awareness and understanding to you know, what do we do around money? Um, and what are our money stories? And what are our patterns, healthy and unhealthy? Mm -hmm. And I can, I can pause there. Um, there's so much more to that. Yeah. yeah. I was really intrigued when I, uh, I was listening to a podcast and you were talking about uh, the, the body check-in and I am so uncomfortable talking about money. And then you bring in the, the kind of the lifelong education of it. And that was actually one of my questions was 
well, it's not so much a question, but just realizing that I was never really taught how to handle money. I, my mother was raised, uh, you know, when she grew up, she was uh, very poor. So um, she had the opportunity with my father to, you know, to tell me like, you don't need to worry about it. Focus on school. We'll take care of you kind of thing. So I was never really taught how to deal with money. And now as an adult, I'm in this place of like, well, I just don't deal with money. You know, like that's just not my, not my place. So and I've noticed times when you were talking about the body check and I've noticed times where I've had to spend more money than I was comfortable with, like at the store and, and kind of this like depression that comes afterwards. And it's so, it was just so interesting to go to that place of like, yeah, it really does affect us on this bodily level. And there's, and there's so many factors at play. And I guess one of my questions is, have you noticed that there is a difference with men and women like are we culturally teaching money differently to men and women i get asked this question often and um it's interesting for me because there's people like barbara stanny amanda steinberg their work is around women and money you know that's what they focus on and so on some level um for me my mind and brain does not think in the way of men, women, generalities, you know, I, I really don't think in that way. Um, and, and yet, who comes to me? You know, we have 530 students this year in the Art of Money. Um, 80% are women. 80% are women. Mm-hmm. It's always been that. So that's fascinating to me, you know, is that um, I've been told my approach is considered more feminine. Uh, Why is it more feminine? It brings in emotions, you know, it's not (laughs) your traditional, right? Money management. There's there's many books out there. There's many um, male traditional money teachers that tell you how to pay down debt, how to invest, you know, there's good stuff in there. Um, but for me, when I went to create my own methodology, it, it needed to include that, you know, we're emotional beings um, and the psychology of it all, right? Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm the oldest of three. My youngest brother certainly got more money teachings, and he's five years younger than me, than I did, you know? Um, I grew up with entrepreneurs, so I got to watch my father and watch my mom and him work together. Um, but there weren't direct teachings. It was me just watching and being steeped in a family of entrepreneurs. Um, I, yes, yes. I mean, I, I do get some men that come to me, whether it's a couple, male, female couple, or some single men who are coming and whether they just realize that they're working on, um, they're, 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 they're the sensitive man or they want to work at like understanding how to earn well, but know that it's also emotional for them and know that the issue and concept of value and self-worth is a big deal, is a big riddle to untangle. And that's more of women's language. So I work with a lot of women around value and we can talk about that. Um, You know, yes, there's lots of research and studies on there, like men make decisions easier, they invest easier, they they take more risks. But again, like I... The world I live in, I'm going to be 50, but I never stepped into the corporate world. And so I've, even though I grew up in Chicago, middle class, I left that. And on some level, I, I, I'm not steeped in uh, the generalities of men do it this way, women, women, do, women do it this way, because I'm in communities where we are forging different paths. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that, Barry, because I know that, because um, I know that my, you know, my first connection with you is when me and my, my, my own father were going through your book together. And that was one thing that I loved about reading your book was because you brought in all this mindfulness and kind of, you know, the Dharma, if you will, of money. And that really spoke to me about money as a practice. And it was so foreign to my, you know, baby boomer, like, you know, <laughs> um, tough love type father, you know, because every book he's ever read about money was like, he's, you know, it was just like it, like, it was the tough love thing. It was just like, go do this and, you know, 
don't do this. Um, and so this to bring in this idea of kind of mindfulness and practices and self-care and ritualizing it was really, um, yeah, it, it was very groundbreaking for <laughs> It was new material there. For sure. And I understand that. And the people that come to me, most of the people, you know, are very interested in my approach. So I'm not working with that traditional man that much, you know, um, a short little story is I worked with a couple, it was a male, female couple. He came from a financial background. She didn't, he kept sitting her down, whipping out his spreadsheet, spreadsheets. She would either like start swearing at him or start crying and like run off and be like, I'm not doing this. This doesn't work. And he could not figure it out. He was like, I come from a financial background. I speak this language. I should be her teacher. You know, why can we not do this together? And she presented my course and he at first thought it was potentially too emotional, you know, or feminine. <laughs> and, and again, he thought he could teach her, you know, cause this is his background. And they sat down and started going through the tools and the practices and they learned, he learned a new language, you know, and he learned that she may have a different style or approach, you know, she may not need or be able to go straight to the numbers and spreadsheets. She may need to first under, work with her emotions and understand what they are and feel safe um, and be able to tell stories about her history and family of origin and what was passed down around money positively and negatively she needed to have story time which I always say with couples when you're going to have a money date it's like starting with a clean slate like yes I know it's been swearing or fighting or you get the credit card statement and rent your partner while they're in the shower or while right before bed and you bring it up that doesn't work right most of the time that doesn't work so we have to start from the beginning around money dates and number one tell stories number two talk about values number three talk about the numbers, but also he softened and he realized he may not, he's not the best teacher that she needed to learn about how to work with her body and emotions and have those tools. He needed that language, which was new for him. And she needed a different kind of bookkeeping system than a spreadsheet. I can't remember which one she started with, if it was Mint or YNAB, but she needed to find her way to the numbers in a different way than him. And it took a few months. It can take six months to practice these, but they eventually became a lot more loving and compassionate. So yes, sometimes we get someone who the guy's really into Dave Ramsey and the woman's taken my course, you know, those are extremes, but I also get a lot of, I get some men that are really into this approach as well and need it and want it. So why do we have such a strong reaction to money like why is money i mean i i would say that uh you know money could be argued that it's just kind of this arbitrary representation of value so yeah i'm just thinking that you know in a bartering economy perhaps there's more exchange of value for value and then when you bring money into it and you have this this representation of value is to undervalue what other people are doing. I mean, I think that's something that's pretty common, um, especially when you're talking about like, you know, stay at home moms. I mean, that's an issue for me because I'm a stay at home mom and I don't make money doing what I'm doing. And so I think it's, it can make it easier to undervalue the things that I do. Keep going. Well, and so I kind of lost the question <laughs> there because there were so many things that came up when you were talking. It just, can jump in a little bit. I mean, you know, I do work in a capitalist society, right? That that's the economy. I my community, as I said, is over 500 students. It's from people all over the world. Um, we have someone in Hong Kong. We have it's we have people all over Europe. We have it, it's really fascinating to me who's stepping in to do this work together. We're, but we're starting. We had a few people this year who were born in communist. Um, societies that have moved into Western culture and now they live in a capitalist society, you know, and they've had to work through that. So we're starting to get different experiences and different issues, right? Coming mm -hmm. into the pot in the mix. Um, I haven't taken on capitalism. I love to study someone like Bernard Lyotard, you know, the Belgian economist to see what he's thinking 
Um, you know, I love working with the individual and the couple and the family and, and people who are creative entrepreneurs. Like, that's my forte. But I play around, even with the concept of yin and yang currency that Bernard Leotard talks about. And I once saw him speak, this was, this was probably 14 years ago, um, at a conference for financial planners. And he got up there with his PowerPoint and showed maps of yin currencies happening all over the world. And it just blew my mind. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh my God. And I had already been dabbling in that. You know, when I, the, I've been doing my business for 17 years. The first few years I did a lot of trade. I was bootstrapping and didn't have a lot of cash flow. And um, so would do some trades, you know, trades for graphic design, trades for a website, trades for, you know, and it worked really well. It was a great way to bootstrap. And then I stopped doing trades for years. And then I started doing them again a few years ago. Um, and they were wonderful. And I've stopped again. But and I can talk about that. But what mm -hmm. I remember mostly was Bernard saying, the cultures that have thrived the most have had yin and yang. It's mostly a young system, but there, I can't remember the percentage. If it was Bali, it was 20 or 30%. That's huge. Maybe I, that's not the right number. But he was saying that was like the biggest yin currency that was ex in existence. And when a society falls apart, it's because there's no yin anymore. The yin's been kicked out. Mm -hmm. that's, that's to the extent of my thinking around that. I, I'm always dabbling in, though, the trade. Um, and trades have to work for both people, you know, and, you know, it's, let's say my program's $850, you know, if you pay in full, then I'm doing a trade for exactly that. And that's always an interesting conversation. Is my 850 worth your 850? You know, I, mm -hmm. that feels good back in the day when I was doing an hourly rate and someone else would have a lower rate or a higher rate. That was a challenging conversation and a really good one to have. You know, if someone was cleaning my house for $25 or even 30 and my rate was 75 back in the day or 100, did they have to do three hours, you know, of their work for mine? Um, we work that through over and over and over. I, I really enjoy in different phases having those conversations and other times I don't want to have them. Um, I would rather have do a straight up trade for the amount and get an art piece and then totally support someone in my program. Okay. So there's, that's my feeling about that. Um, and the piece about value is that we do live in a culture where some professions are valued a lot more and paid a lot more. Right. Um, and women's work around the world has not been given a value or not been paid. Right. Um, and yet there's so much value in being a mother. So there's so much value and that's our work. That's our work. That may be our work for some time. Um, I do work with couples where if it's a male, female it could be female, female, but where one is going out making the money and the other person staying home and they need to have a lot of money conversations. They need to have a lot of conversations about what that means, what that feels. What does it mean to be the one going out and earning and bringing home the money? Do they get to make more of the money decisions no, you know, but does it feel that way in moments? Yes. And they have to work that out. And in a long marriage or a long partnership, usually we're going in and out. One makes more for a while, then we switch and so on. But, you know, years ago, one of the reasons that propelled me to do my work in the first place was because I was making $11 an hour as a social worker, as a counselor with a master's degree in psychology. I was making $11 an hour. And that um, didn't work for me. It did for a time because I loved my work. And I was taught we're supposed to just do good work. If we're therapists, we're not supposed to want or strive for money. We just do our good work and somehow we're going to be compensated. And there was a little bit of like a, a lot of people who are in a spiritual path and healers and you just do your good work and you'll be compensated but we're not living on an ashram or we're not living off the grid some of us are but we're not living in communities um most of us some are you know we're trying to figure that out but at that time i wasn't you know and i couldn't show up at potlucks with dark chocolate you know i wanted a basket of dark chocolate you know, <laughs> to share. 
and I couldn't get, I couldn't do any self-care. You know, there was no massage. And I was working in a milieu, working in an environment in the mental health field for 40 hours a week, given everything I had, you know, and it just, I had a moment where I was like, wow, this profession is not being valued. You know, it's a, and, and we do so much work. And I had a moment of, I'm going to take this on and I'm going to be an activist and I'm going to make sure that this whole field gets compensated for what it's worth and its value. And then I just, when I really checked in with myself and who I am, I realized that's not my path and that's not my work. And I still had no clue how I was going to create my work in the world. I never saw what I'm doing today. Never. You know, I thought my options were 40 hours a week as a counselor in the mental health field or a private practice, neither of which I wanted to do. Um, but that, that moment is what propelled me to start asking different questions of how can I break through $11 an hour? This is a money ceiling. Really, it was 2000 a month. How can I break through that? What are my options? And I like would make a list of anything I could think of, you know, um, and eventually like someone, I, I mean, this is a whole other story, but someone taught me, someone said to me, do you want to learn Quicken? Um, we'll give you five hours out of your 40 in the back room and you can do the bookkeeping. And I was like, you're asking me, I had to pretend that that was totally normal, that they were asking me to do, cause I, up until that point had thrown away my bank statements. They would come in the mail and I would maybe glance at them and throw them out. So I had no relationship to money or bookkeeping or numbers, or I thought it was boring. I thought it was way too creative. I didn't want to have anything to do with this part of life, right? It was, yes. mundane. It was mundane and so and all and on and on and on. And so when they offered me five hours a week, I just said yes, because I had been asking questions. How do I do this differently? How do I get beyond $11 an hour? How do I, you know, and when they offered, me that I said yes and I went in the back room and they taught me quick in and excel and it blew my mind that I could even learn it or do it because I wasn't good at math growing up and then you know soon after that I decided to take a break from the mental health field and take an accounting job which seemed like such an odd detour for $13 an hour and then they gave me a raise to 15 and then someone taught me QuickBooks and and offered to pay me 20 and then 25 and so on mm -hmm. so you know, it was in our culture, you know, there's many different professions that are valued in many different ways. So many of us want to do work that we love, that we're passionate about, that we're good at, that honors our skills. And sometimes, you know, and I want us all to do that, but it may not look in exactly the way that we think. And this is where that was a moment for me where I realized, like, either I'm going to take on my whole profession and the mental health field and social workers and overnight caregivers, you know, all of it, um, and see if I could somehow change this um, and be an activist here, or I can find this other path where I can learn how to make more money still by doing work that I love, where I can give in the best way as possible. You know, I, I just had no clue at that time. It eventually became the work, you know, that I'm doing and now 17 years plus. Um, this, is a, this is a little detour, but it's not. It's all related to, you know, this is the culture that we're born into. And I could take on um, how things are valued in our society, or I could find another way um, to create work that I love and then earn more money and then be able to... Um, you know, know my numbers, know my cash flow, befriend this area of life, get more savvy here, and add all the qualities that I love, you know, about it having deeper meaning, it being creative, it being sacred, it being playful, on and on, and then being able to donate more, you know, money, time, energy, however I choose. But that's the route that I chose to go and that Everyone I work with, I don't teach them to do my exact path. I'm like, do you want to work in a nonprofit job making 30000 a year? And are you happy with that? And do you love your work? Yes. And can you live very simply where you are? Yes. Wonderful. You know, other people would say that's under earning, but it's so different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I, I wanted to, to go on just a, a side road for just a minute. I, I love so much of what you said, and I'd love to circle back just to that whole notion of, you know, being able to make a greater impact through um, calling in more through the work that you do and what you feel called to. But um, can you, I mean, so, you know, there's, there's that adage, right? And I, and I know that this is a big piece of the work that you do, Barry, is just that, you know, when you're talking money, it's not ever just money, right? It relates to how we show up in many, many areas of our lives. Um, so can you just speak to just from your experience and the people that you've worked with, when people work through these stories, when they do the work, so to speak, and they begin to have some breakthroughs in their financial world, where, what other areas do, do those breakthroughs start to show up? Do you notice that they, you know, that does it bring about greater freedom, greater happiness, greater ease, greater joy in other aspects of their life as well? Okay. Um, so yes. And let me back up for a second and just say that I work with people from all different economic backgrounds. And that's been really important to me over the years. And it's one of the main reasons I teach in groups. Sometimes I do private, I have private clients, but I've always wanted to work in groups. Even at the beginning was 10 people, you know, over and over and over. Why? Because I wanted us to be in a room with people from different backgrounds, different economic backgrounds, different lineage, lineages, ethnicities, and really get that we all have strengths around money. We all have challenges around money. Most of us have money shame at the beginning. Um, and that it has that we can come from all different backgrounds and still have the same experience, right? So someone can come from what they would call a poor background and or middle class or come from family of wealth. And there's all there's strengths in all of it. And there's big challenges in all of it. And there's all things that we have to overcome. So I wanted to just lay that as like a foundation. That's been so important to me when I work with people. And so, yes, they are, you know, I have the three phases. It's a year long program now. You know, we do the money healing first where we understand our money stories and our past and where we've come from. Then we move into all the practical parts of setting up a bookkeeping system, learning the language of money. Then we move into money maps, which is what phase of life are we in? And how do we make money decisions and small, medium, large purchases? And what are our dreams? And how do we add in our values along with the numbers and so on, right? So this is a journey that it's not like one day it ends. Like we don't get our money figured out and then we're done, you know? This is something that goes on lifelong forever. Every year I'm updating. And because we weren't given a financial education from grade school and up in small increments, most of us are learning this as adults. My community is 25 to 75 years old and it takes time and it takes baby steps and it's something we'll be working on for years, you know? Um, and some people kind of, you know, are more incremental growth people like me and then I'll get a big leap. Other people make big leaps over and over and over. We're all really different in how we learn, how we move, what pacing we're at. Um, so when people do this work, I've seen, you know, the, the, in the very beginning of the book, there are seven areas of why people are coming. It's why they're coming, but it's also what they're wanting to work on and what they're wanting to improve and shift. And it's everything from, you name some of them. Number one, it's clarity. People just want it, their numbers are, you know, half the people that come to me have no idea what's coming in, what's going out what their debt is, what are the amounts, what are the numbers, what are their assets? They just want clarity on their numbers, right? The second one is intimacy. People want to know just, they want to know what's really going on. What are their money stories? They know their food story or their body, or excuse me, their food story, or they know their story in other ways, but they don't they know parts of their money story and they're still playing out a lot of parts and there's a lot of reactions or there are a lot of patterns and some are healthy. Sometimes the first thing I have to help people do is actually celebrate what they're doing well because they don't even realize it. You know, they're only focusing on what 
is not working or where they feel they suck or where, you know, where they feel like everyone else got a money education except for me. Or if you came from a wealthy family, well, you're all set. You don't have any issues, you know, and so on. So it's that the third one is knowledge because we weren't taught this. I even have really high earners that, that are just like, they don't think that they can ask for help or they think, you know, they know they're smart in so many ways. So they should know this money thing too. But if we were never taught it, how are we going to know this? And it takes time. It really takes time to learn a bookkeeping system and learn the language of money and learn how to read your numbers and the patterns and the cash flow. So there's that. There's ease of, I, I can go through all these, but I'll just name them briefly. So it's clarity, intimacy, knowledge peace of mind where, you know, we can get that in a long life, there's going to be ebbs and flows. Um, but somehow we forget that in money too, that there's ups and downs and all arounds and that, you know, some years we're earning more or saving more or giving more. Some years we're just like holding on or just trying to live within our means. Some years we're like, you know, like, I don't know, we have an eyeball out of the water, like we're just treading, we're just, you know, barely making it through, like, in a, in a long life, there's going to be people die, there's going to be new babies born, there's going to be beautiful and challenging things that put us in transitions, right? And so even with money, there's ebbs and flows. And so for me, the body check-in is not only to bring awareness to emotions and money stories, but it also helps us bring a witness to life and bring a witness to even our money is going to have ebbs and flows and how do we calm ourselves down in the middle of a transition? You know, um, I can talk more about that. And then success, how do we define it? You know, for some people it's more money and more giving and more saving for other people. It's, can I have loving and compassionate conversations with my partner? That's success for me. You know, other people it's doing work that they love. Um, and then the last two are value, which we haven't really gotten dug into yet. And then the last one is support and just who do you need on your financial support team? So that's a roundabout answer to say that like for some people they have, they have developed in many, many different ways and they're doing well in their lives. And, but money is stuck back in like teenager phase or toddler phase or even infancy phase. It was ne never developed. And so when you start working on that, it can, you know, affect your marriage. It could affect your relationship with your children in a positive way, your parents. It could, you can learn, you know, new communication skills. You can become so much more aware of your own money stuff that you then ask different questions or can speak differently to people around you. And I mean, for some people it's, you know, I heard Barbara Stanley say that she, you know, she does a year long investing course. And she said the biggest result that the women get at the end of the year is that they lose weight by doing that work. Hmm. That, that just kind of, you know, blew me away. I don't, right. I don't that's do research that way, but that, that's her experience, you know, or that's what she's seeing. Um, from, yeah, I'll stop there. No, thank you. That's great. To go back to that, you had said about calming ourselves in a money transition. Was that? Yeah. So I think, could you, one of the things that Amy and I did in the first season, we live in um, in Northern California, and our first season was documenting people that were originally had just been marijuana farmers, and now it, it, how it's all shifting with legalization and all of all of that. And so one of the reasons we started doing this was, you know, a lot of people are really having the shift, and we can see that shift. And actually, a friend of mine was joking about <laughs> that shift, how you know, a lot of people now aren't shopping at the co-op anymore. They're shopping at, at the dollar store, you know, and, and grocery outlet because there is this huge cultural shift where we live. And, uh, and most of that is centered around, a lot of that is centered around money and people are scrambling now to figure out new ways to make money and to live their, live their lives. And so I was just wondering, that might be something that people are, could use a little advice on about you work through these money transitions or these economic transitions or so number one is that they happen to all of us you know in a long life if we have the honor of having one we're going to have these right again we're going to have ebbs and flows some years where we're making more 
Some years we're making less, some years where there's an external circumstance or situation that affects us, right? Um, a lot of people lost a lot of money in the stock market years ago. Some people, big chunk of people, you know, lost their homes, um, had to file bankruptcy or, uh, you know, d during that time, um, they had to do short sales on their homes. Like there's communities where everyone's working at a plant and it closes and right. This is, this is real life stuff, right? Or there's environmental things that happen. So this is life, right? It's both scary, vulnerable, it's beautiful. There's also beautiful things that happen too, you know, but even things like having a new child, um, for me, that threw me into a big money transition. Um, I'll tell a short story and then I'll, I'll, I'll give some tools on how to work with these transitions. So a short story is that I had been running my business for seven years. I grew it from a one woman show to having a whole team. I had a business partner. We had bookkeeping trainers and coaches under my umbrella. And then um, I decided to have, I, I wanted to have a baby at 38. I changed my mind and I wound up giving birth to our son four months shy of my 40th birthday. And we had a very scary, um, life-threatening uh, complication on my placenta exploded it's called placenta eruption um in you know i was home or on the naturally actually fully exploded once we got to the hospital so you know after 11 hours i put on my sundress and can we swear here we can swear yes. right? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're especially talking about placenta <laughs> eruption right okay good I, I you know i put on my orange sundress that i still have and i said to my midwife and i said to my husband we're going to the fucking hospital you know and i made the call and we got there and within a half an hour it did explode it did abrupt wow. I safely at the hospital i knew something was wrong i knew that i could not get into my body i know how to get into my body and i knew i could not you know i was in so much pain um and um got us there in time and and my boy came out healthy i came out healthy but i was in recovery you know for it took actually two years you know and so within like once i crossed the bridge of becoming a mother and i thought everything would continue my business would continue you know my team would continue all of it would continue in the same way and then this this happened and everything changed and I had to recover and I had to ask different questions. And I realized pretty quickly, I had to let go of all of that. Let go of my business partner, my team, go back to one woman show. I couldn't work for 40, 50, 60 hours anymore. I, I, when I asked myself the question, how many hours can I literally work right now? You know, it was 10 hours a week, you know, it was, and, and then I had to, and then I had to ask like, what, what do I love to do the most right now that I could do sleep deprived and recovering, you know, um, and, and what will bring in the most amount of money. And that new question, I had that I had that question I had never asked before. It seems like such a straightforward, simple question. What do I love to do the most that's going to bring in the most amount of money in the least amount of time? Maybe I, I couldn't have answered, asked that or answered that five years before, seven years before, in that moment, it was, oh, I can do my online program, you know, two of them a year. And in my crazy fun and no one could see me and I did the best I could, you know, and our income went way down um, during that time. And yet I was still able to bring in some, you know, and my husband was starting a brand new business during that time as well. It was a very challenging time. Um, and I'll talk about how to get through it. But these are just real life things that happen, whether it's the economy where we're living, whether we get laid off, whether someone dies close to us, you know, whether we have baby one or two or three, like these are all real life stuff. So my approach to working with this is what I call money Cohen's. And Cohen is K-O-A-N. And it comes from um, the Zen Buddhist tradition. And it's, it means to work with a riddle. And usually, you know, I'm not Buddhist, my husband is, um, but a Zen Buddhist will give a student a koan to sit with um, and to bring into their meditation. 
And it's something that happens between the two of them. Um, and I had heard this term for years because I went to graduate school at Naropa, which is a Buddhist, um, a, you know, Buddhist-based school. And at some point over the years, I realized, oh, we have money Cohen's. And so I gratefully borrowed the term <laughs> Cohen and I started introducing it to my community saying, oh, you're in the middle of a money Cohen. You're in the middle of a riddle that you can't figure out yet. It's scary. It's vulnerable. It brings up all sorts of feelings and emotions and, and stuff around security and safety. We're in a transition. You know, how can we calm ourselves down? How can we give ourselves some perspective? How can we ask different questions? How can we sit with this long enough, you know, and trust that if we put our intention on this and, you know, and be persistent that we will come up with some solutions that we never thought of before. So that's, I, you know, I can talk a lot more about this, but my money call and the way I take people through it is number one, just first acknowledging, naming, admitting that you're in one. It makes such a difference, you know, because we're just feeling the feelings and either freaked out or we want to run away or we want to fight the system, you know, and maybe some of those are all okay, you know, in moments, but just to notice what's going on with you, what loop are you doing? What pattern? And to first name it and admit, oh, I'm in the middle of a big money riddle. I'm in the middle of a big challenge. I don't know the answer yet. I don't know the solutions. It doesn't seem like there are any. It feels like a brick wall. And then step, so step one is to name it. Step number two is to sit in the questions. Ask totally different questions that you've ever thought of. Let yourself get creative. Take your questions and your hikes or your meditation cushion or your bath. You know, I get things in the bathtub that blow me away, you know, and on my hikes. And sit with the questions, ask new ones, different ones. And then step three is like, how do you tap into a trust that, you know, it may take a day, it may take a few weeks, it may take a few months. I've had money Cohen's that were solved. I found an answer in a few days, some a few weeks, some a few months, and some a few years. And so the third piece is the trust and the intention and perseverance and staying open to new possibilities, answers that you never could have thought of. And so that's just a little, that's a little pathway of how I've worked with money cones over the years, many, I thought I was done with them and got one a few months ago, you know, um, and, and that's one way for us to work with them. I really appreciate that. I just, um, yeah, yeah. There's so much just to really, this is a lot more, I thought we were going to have a really nice kind of general conversation about money. And it's just amazing how much of this is going to like the heart of me personally. Um, so, so thank you for, for having this larger conversation with us that also is really striking at some very, you know, um, uh, in, in-house feeling, so to speak. So I just, yeah. I'm, I'm struck by just this, you know, we, we see you. Annie and myself and then you know the people in your community and the people in the larger world right we see you at kind of the if not at at a pinnacle in your your work in your career but you're definitely you know you've, you've been working at it for a really long time so a lot of what we see from the outer perspective is you know you have a you know a beautiful book and you have this really great thriving program that you do um and so I really, I appreciate just hearing about some of those transitions. Can you just speak to a little bit more just to, from even from a, just a, you know, without even any thought of to, you know, imparting tools or wisdom, just what it was like to continue to believe in your own work and your own vision and your own calling, even in the midst of some of those transitions, you know, when you did take a hit in income or when you hadn't yet fully formulated what you felt your calling and your work in this world was to be. Can you just speak to what, um, just how did you continue to show up to your work even when it wasn't being valued financially, even when it wasn't um, fully formed? What were some of the things that kept you coming back to that and kept you valuing the work that you had to offer the world? You know, that's such a great question because you're, you're seeing one thing of where I am now, right, as you mentioned, and I've been working at this for years, you know, and 
I can remember years where, you know, I'm crying on the living room floor, you know, and I'm crying on my hikes and I'm crying in the bathtub and I can, it was hard. It was challenging. Um, I didn't fully see a formed anything. I didn't have a business plan um, at the beginning, <laughs> you know. Um, I just had to keep digging deep. And, you know, I've always had, I'm not a sitting meditator, never have been. I like to do movement meditation. So I've had a version of my hike for 25 years, right? And I found authentic movement even before that, which is a movement meditation practice. So that's something that I've tried to do almost daily, you know? Sometimes I'll take breaks, certainly, or I need a rest day. But getting out in nature for me, um, and as I said earlier, bathtub, sometimes I can't get out in nature. Or one time we were in a big transition. Um, this one was I was launching my group program. Like It felt like pulling teeth to get 40 or 50 people. This was seven years ago. And then my husband was launching his own online program. I was losing my mind. I was like, this does not work as a family. This feels way too intense. And we, he had, my husband had a launch during elections, which the elections went our way. This was right, seven years ago. <laughs> um, they went our way and we were so happy, but no one was signing up for an online program. And so he didn't do well. And it really threw us into a crisis, you know, and we decided to go visit his parents in St. Louis for the month and kind of reassess. And I thought, oh, maybe we'll just live, your, your parents have a lovely basement. It's huge. We can just stay here. And my husband was horrified, you know, by that idea. Um, and in that, it was so cold, I couldn't even walk outside. And so I just remember lying down in bed. I was, we were putting our son to sleep, he was little. So he's in the bed next to me. I put him to sleep and I just lie there and I had to vision like, just lying there, you know, but I have had years of experience of movement meditation or hiking. And so I know how to tap into something deeper, something larger. Um, and that's how I came up with the year long program was like lying in that bed. You know, um, How, you know, I, I think there are times where we don't believe and where we're scared and feel really vulnerable. Um, and we're, we need to cry or feel our feelings fully, um, you know? And then I just think we need to go to our channels and avenues in ways where we connect, you know, really deep. And for me, that's always been a version of, you know, my hikes. And that's where I ask questions. I don't always get answers. I eventually do. You know, that's where I ask different questions. That's where I, like, I'm really upset about something and, like, I'm talking to myself out loud on the trail, you know, <laughs> trying to work it through. Um, I, you just have to dig deep. I mean, to, to run your own business, to go after any dream, even if you can't fully see it or vision it yet, um, you know, you just have to keep getting up. And there's a lot of determination, a lot of persistence. And then you also need the rest days. That's where the yin and yang for me shows up in so many ways. Like I love action. And then I also need the pause rest. And then I love action and we need more pause rest. So did that, did that answer your question? It did. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a lot. It's interesting, you know, when I, cause you know, I, I follow you online and I'll see your, you know, your shots from your hikes and, you know, or you'll post something about coming back from a dance class and it's just lovely. And it reminds me of, cause I've done a lot of work with them, Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. And that's what always that pops to mind when I see some of the practices that you engage and I'm like, oh, she's, she's tapped into the big creative, creative, force. <laughs> like, no wonder she's been able to manifest this over, over so many years because she's, she's tapped into that bigger wellspring. And it's been slow and steady. And then I've had some leaps, you know, um, where other people I watched leap like much earlier on than I did, you know, and I was like, 
well, you know, that would, that would be nice, but I'm different. This is my pacing over here. and I'm going to keep going, you know, and it's incremental, you know, and then I've certainly had some more leaps over the last eight years or so of seven. Yeah. Slow and steady. Hmm. I got to say when we, when Amy and I first started talking about the, uh, this, the framework that we're going to use and having to talk about financial capital, I was not expecting a talk like this for sure. So um, I'm really appreciative of how you make this whole conversation accessible to those of us that are not used to talking about money. Thank you. You know, um, I think it's because of my therapy background and my somatic therapy background in particular. Um, you know, I remember like meeting, I collaborate with a lot of bookkeepers and accountants and financial planners and so on. And I remember meeting with an accountant years ago and we heard how I rename bookkeeping categories. So instead of like mortgage or rent, it's home or sanctuary or love shop. Mm. You know, I both do it in a playful way to make it more playful for people, but I also, for some, we need deeper meaning. So I have people rename a debt. So it's not that damn debt, you know, it's what was really going on and what phase of your life and what were you going after? What was the transition, you know? And I've had, I had a different accountant who was also, um, the first one was just like, I, I never could have come up with this, Barry, because of my traditional money training. You know, I love what you've done. This other accountant was like, what's in a name? You know, this is, seems a little silly, but I'm going to try it. And he wound up renaming a category, a debt that they had. It was medical bills and it was his wife survived cancer. And I don't remember the exact name, but it was honoring his wife and that she was alive. And, um, you know, he said renaming that medical bill to honor her and that she's alive and that he's more time with her changed everything, you know? So I think that because of my side door, back door, you know, training, just different training, I can bring different things to it. And then I love going to, there's someone, have you guys heard of, have you ladies heard of Christopher Peck, Michael Kramer, Hell, Hell, um, and their book, The um, Resilient Investor? No. Okay, it's, they all come from permaculture backgrounds. So the, the eight points of capital or the eight, you know, that you were talking about, that's their world. And they're all financial planners and they're all socially responsible financial planners. And, and they have, um, I always call it the resistant investor, accidentally. <laughs> the resilient investor. And um, it's, a, it's a good, solid book that also helps talk through, you know, uh, all different kinds of capital in, in the way that you two are approaching this. And then I have my own version that's completely different, but I interview Christopher often and he's one of my favorite people okay. to interview. I, I have one more. So I just, there's, there's this feeling I think right now for some people just of, it, it, there's a feeling around for some people for money that it's, you know, this necessary evil that they just as soon be done with, you know, they'd rather just go, you know, live out in the hills or, you know, I know for even, I could speak for my own partner. He's just like, let's just be done. Let's just grab our passports and move to, you know, Central America. And he's just ready to be off out of the whole, you know, kind of mess of modern mainstream capitalist America. Um, is that the course? Is that the way? Is that, are we called to be in it right now? Or are we, is there, what, what do you say to the people that kind of just want to opt out of the whole mess of it all right now? I understand. I mean, for some people, why not? You know, for some people, if that really feels right, go try it out, go do it. Um, we thought about leaving the country for other reasons, you know, more just... <laughs> <laughs> the government and what's happening and the craziness and the pain and um but I'm staying in you know I'm staying in because I want to understand um our our race issues more I want to you know it's been so important to me to 
have more diversity and be more inclusive in all of my interview series and in everyone I collaborate with. And that's been going on for years. And um, there's so many painful, terrible things that are happening in our culture that I, I, you know, I want to combat. Okay. And, and then I will go up against um, and stand up for things that I believe in. As far as the money piece, you know, some people are going to choose that and you can see how it goes. Right. I mean, for me, I thought about it, and then I, I, stepping in to culture, my husband used to live in a teepee and um, was completely off the grid. I brought him back in to the culture, and, and now he's in the tech world, and, you know, he set up all my online stuff, and we, he was my business partner for a few years, and um, he stepped in, and we, we chose to step in and I've felt like it's pushed me to create my work more and more and and bring it out in a larger way. That's the that's how I've seen it. It's been a challenge for me. Um, as you know, as an introvert, as a creative, as an alternative person, how do I um, create something that feels good for me, that's honorable, that does good work that, you know, where I have a team and I pay people well and I donate well. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on that more in the last few years and um, on and on. So I've seen it as, yes, money to me used to be the root of all evil and I wasn't supposed to want it, strive for it, or be part of culture in this way. And yet I was determined to find a way um, where I could bring all, as I said, all the qualities that are important to me and beautiful about this world into my relationship to money and into my work and how I built my business and my relationships and have gone that way. So it's pushed me and challenged me to put myself out there more in my work and be in my integrity. Wherever you go, there you are. Pause, listen. Can you hear the soft but resonant voice of wisdom embedded in the hollow of the ever waking now? What does she say to you? My body led me to this place. My feet drumming out a rhythm and a road I had cherry picked inside my mind's eye. I knew where I was headed, where I was bound, but the road did not rise up to meet me. Instead, my knowing feet veered sideways, keenly loop-de-looping down a path I could not have chosen nor foreseen. My feet knew the way. My head and hands followed suit. Money. I have built up a residence inside this valley where my omniscient body guided me. In an unlikely wood, I have crafted a nest that is gracious and warm and can expand to hold whomever is called to the valley here with me as well. Money. I have trod the passageways of this shadowy landscape, traversed its cavernous byways, learned to move adroit alert, steady, and smooth through its rocky crags and mud pits. I have fallen down inside these woods, but I have learned to summit just the same. I've glimpsed sunsets, wildflowers, and breathtaking vistas from the lofty mountains of this place, and I am here to tell you what I've seen. Money. I have learned to dance inside this implausible sphere. My body, and in turn I, have learned what it is to wander into strange, forbidding territory, and therein start to sing, laugh, exalt, revel, dine, reveal, and pray. Money. Turns out, if the flesh is willing, you can make music with whatever you have on hand. A pocket full of jangling coins, several thin strips of paper, or numbers laying across the silent page. Turns out anywhere can be holy, useful, 
gorgeous, true, if that is what we seek. So just start moving and let the body find the way. Thank you again, as always, for tuning in to this another episode of Mend Life at the Seams. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation and want to know a little bit more about Barry and the work that she does, uh, developing money as a practice and something that you become more mindful and skillful around, um, you can make sure to go on over to her website at barrytesler.com. That's B-A-R-I Tesler, T-S-S-L-E-R. Um, while you're there, make sure to sign up for her seven-day free e-course if this is something you're wanting to gain a little bit more skill in. Uh, she also has a book which details a lot more fully um, some of the practices that we talked about today. It's called The Art of Money. She also has a podcast, which you can always hop on over. If you're here in iTunes already, just look up. Again, same title, Art of Money. And there's some great interviews and stories and guidance and reflection around building up um, some skills and knowledge and awareness in this area of your life if that's something that you're wanting and needing at this moment. If you're enjoying this direction that we're taking and these stories and this guidance and just how we are adding to the larger conversation, there are a few ways that you can support us in this effort, um, a few forms of capital. And the first is social. So if you're enjoying this, please go ahead and go on over to iTunes. Uh, leave a rating, a review. It really helps get the word out. If you like this, tell a friend. Encourage them to hop on over to the website, mendpodcast.com. Have a look. See what we've done in this season and the previous one. Invite them to be part of this tribe and conversation. Living. Um, you may have noticed that we've shifted gears a little bit and we want to really take it out of just the realm of storytelling and into the lived, breathed, embodied experience. So if something you hear resonates with you, please go ahead and begin a practice with it right now, today, tomorrow, um, and let us know how it goes. Shoot us an email and let us know how this new practice and experience is, is coming for you. We'd love to hear more. Mendpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, this is and continues to be a labor of love on Annie and my own part. And so we do this purely because we want to see this work get out into the world. But in order for this to become a fully self-sustaining operation, we do need to start looking at ways to fund this. So um, if you are surfing the World Wide Webs, shoot on over to Patreon.com. Our site is at Patreon.com slash MendPodcast. And you can support this work for as little as a dollar a month. Um, there's a few different tiers, a few different ways that you can contribute and be a part of this. And there's some great rewards and goodies along the way. So... Thank you for helping to make this move forward, for being a part of this tribe and this conversation. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the flip side.